0: Today is from 2 Corinthians 6 through 13. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited rather as servants of God we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance in troubles hardships and distresses in beatings imprisonments and riots in hard work sleepless nights and hunger in purity understanding patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also.
1: Father. We're continuing on in our series in 2 Corinthians. We are in chapter 6 again today. Um, And last week, if you tuned in, Um, we talked about what the mission of Missio is, that we're joining God in the renewal of all things. That is our mission here at Missio Day. And it kind of feels a bit lofty. And so if we distill that, we distill it into understanding that we're a community of people who are renewed by God's Spirit and empowered to extend God's renewing work in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, and in our neighborhoods. And so we acknowledge that we're a people who have purpose, and we're not just here to kind of attend church on a Sunday morning, but we're driven by something deeper. We're driven by what we believe God is actually doing in the world, that we also participate alongside God, and that's what this passage affirms and describes today. And as you look with me at the beginning of the chapter, It says that as God's co-workers, we urge you to not to receive God's grace in vain, to not receive God's grace in vain. And then he quotes from Isaiah and he says, in the time of favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. This picture here that God, that Paul is describing us as God's co-workers And he urges us in this moment of describing what our purpose is to not receive God's grace in vain. So somehow our job description or our purpose is connected to what we believe about grace. And so then we have to understand what is grace or to ask ourselves, what have we been given? Because Paul doesn't want us to take that in vain. And in describing or imploring us, urging us not to take that grace in vain, he references Isaiah chapter 49. And this whole section, if you look at the book of Isaiah, this whole section from chapter 49 all the way to 55 depicts a servant of God. And that servant is empowered by God's spirit and he brings God's kingdom. He's making things new. And in this section, it's a pretty famous section of scripture, and that servant is known as the suffering servant. And that suffering servant brings God's kingdom by being rejected and beaten and accused and sentenced to death and killed. And he's done so by his own people, but also for his own people. And so this servant's death is what's known as the atonement for rebellion and for violation of, of relationship. And so the servant comes to put things back in right relationship with God, or to put people back in right relationship with God. And many of you are familiar with this. The suffering servant and who the suffering servant points to. And if we were in Sunday school, i would be like, well, who who are you talking about? Paul? And then you would all say, Jesus. And I would say, yes, that's exactly right. When Paul is referencing Isaiah and this suffering servant, he is pointing us to Jesus. Now, I was reading an article this week, and there's some common understandings around um, what the death of Jesus accomplished. And so I thought we could look at them together because these are common understandings of why Jesus had to die. Some of just this list, I'll read it with you. He died so that I could go to heaven is a common understanding behind Jesus' death. Or that he died so God wouldn't be angry anymore. Or he died because someone had to be punished. That somehow there's this chasm that came between A holy God and sinful humans. And somehow God had to turn away because humans were sinful. But the thing is, is that the Bible points to a God who always moves towards rebellious humanity. And so you have this moment at the beginning in the garden and God moves towards Adam and Eve. And then you have a moment when the Israelites are wandering around in the desert and there's a tent in the midst of them. God's presence is in the midst of them as they're wandering around. And then as the people, collective, there's a temple that is built and God's presence is in their midst. And even in the midst of them being exiled because of their rebellion, you have this passage in Ezekiel where God is um, on this crazy like chariot and God's presence is brought to the people in Babylon. And then, most poignantly, God comes to us in Christ. And so, the biblical picture is that it's always about rescue and return to relationship. That God always wants to rescue and return us to relationship, to connection, and to belonging. And God doesn't disappear so that we can figure it out. He moves towards us in order to rescue us and return us and then make things new within us. There's a man called Brian Zand and he says this about Christ's death. He says, the cross is where Christ absorbs sin and recycles it into forgiveness. And it's an important distinction because we do not worship a God who demands payment. But instead, we worship a God who is willing to absorb debt. And death is only part of the story. If we stopped here, it's like stopping in the middle of a chapter. You know, and if we stop in the middle of the chapter, and then we have our focus there, it has its place, and it's a very important place, but we miss out on the rest of what is happening. And we just read 2 Corinthians 5, and we've been told there that that Christ comes to reconcile all things to himself. And so it's not just about his death, again, while that's important, but it's also that he would rise to reconcile. We can't miss. The movement of the story and where the story takes us. And the book of Isaiah confirms what Paul is saying here in Corinthians. The suffering servant, though he's put to death, appears alive again. And the end of the book, the suffering servant has created a people from all nations who wait in hope for a renewed creation. And that's the story of God. Another quote that by Bill, that Bill, I've forgotten his name, it'll come later. He says, God in Christ takes away the sin of the world and then converts it into a peace offering. And to be honest, I want to make sure that we know that this peace offering is not about being wishy-washy. As if violations don't matter had a friend and he posted this week, he's called Eric Knox, and he said um, in the midst of this conversation on race that he said words like, thank God it's all under the blood, meaning the, di- the, the oppression and the things that have happened rela- related to systemic injustice. He said when you say that, that everything is under the blood, it's like spraying perfume over 400 years of oppression. It's not about denying the truth of violations. The cross reveals that. The horror of fractured humanity. It displays the evil of violence and injustice and misused power and the pain and the grief of betrayal and loss and death. That's why the peace offering is so stunning. Bill Walker goes on to say that negativity and hate and fear is consumed and swallowed up rather than reciprocating. That's what's happening on the cross. That God in Christ absorbs our evil and doesn't return it. And instead, through death and resurrection, he is active to restore, to return us to closeness and to renew. And that's grace. So I want to ask you this morning Miss is do you understand that that is who God is He waits for you reaches for you desires to be related to you in order to restore you and that will mean admitting wrongdoing but it's vital to understand God's heart towards you and desire towards you, and for you. Because in that we understand grace. Which is what Paul doesn't want us to take in vain. Because there's a recipient of God's grace, we join, and as he says, we become co-workers. Because the cross is not the end of justice. In the cross, it's God's big move to overthrow injustice and to upend evil, but it's just the beginning. Justice has to do with righting wrongs, and resurrection begins that work of renewal. And so it begins to be played out through us, the people of Jesus now. But there's a tension because the old and the new exist. And N.T. Wright says that the new and the old collide like two musical notes crying out for resolution. So everything isn't perfect yet. It's still this tension. And Paul describes that for us here in Second Corinthians 6. He says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In great endurance, in troubles and hardships and distresses, in beatings and imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. And as we read this passage, we can hear these old and new and the musical notes colliding like wanting resolution. Paul describes that here. And as I sat with this passage all week, I just kept being like, this doesn't make sense to me. I can't make sense of this passage. Because it talks about people who experience all that is hardship and them showing up with understanding and patience and kind and being full of sincere love. And I was like, how can I say that? Kind of a joke that a person who's mostly lived a comfortable life is to tell people who haven't how they need to show up. That somehow I should be able to say that people who have suffered should show up with understanding and patience and kindness and sincere love. Especially in light of the current moment with people losing family members to COVID-19 or people who have to consistently contend with systemic racism appropriated against them. that Somehow I would stand here and tell people how to respond. Like, shut me down. Or also looking at it and being like, is this supposed to be some kind of list of virtues that we're meant to attain to? That this we look at this passage and it's like the life that we're supposed like that's what life's supposed to look like is our model Paul. Then I'm like, dude, I better double down and get after it But I don't think that's it either. I think this is a moment where Paul is sharing his life with the Corinthian church. It's what Paul has experienced. And it's who he's found himself to be in the midst of this situation as he tunes into the presence of God alongside him. And it hasn't always gone well for him. He lives in the tension of these two notes colliding and he is communicating that to the Corinthian church and to us. The Corinthian church liked their lives comfortable. In fact, they wanted it to be pretty showy and successful. They liked their comforts. they look at Paul and they think he's a joke of all the things that he's experiencing and that it isn't always going that well for him and he knows it he knows they think he's a joke and so he shares himself with them again this negativity and disrespect that they feel from him is consumed rather than reciprocated grace And he shares his life with them again. In many ways, he discredits himself. Not so that he'll shut them down or that he'll ask them to double down, but so that he can ask them a question. And that question comes right after he's laid himself bare before them. And he says, we have opened our hearts to you. And then he says, open wide your hearts also, Corinthian church. The message puts it this way. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking plainly as I can and with great affection. Open your lives. Live openly and expansively. Paul knows loss and suffering. They've called him an imposter and they've dishonored him. And the irony here is that it is the person who is suffering, who is telling the persons who are in comfort to be open-hearted. The irony is is that it is the person that is suffering that is asking the persons who are in comfort to be open-hearted. About three years ago, Christy Nellimo introduced me to three women, and over the last three years, I've been able to spend a great deal of time with them because they open up their lives towards me. And so I called one of them this week, Zina. These three women are from Iraq. And I called them this week because of what I've experienced from them in terms of the open lives that they live before me, the open-heartedness that they show me in relation to them. And so I called Zina this week and I asked her, I told her, Zina, I'm preaching about being open-hearted. I want to ask you about it. I want to ask you how you can be so open-hearted after experiencing so much pain. And she said, Heather Habibti, She's like, our hearts have been broken. I'm going to try not to cry. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't love it. don't love it when I get my feels out, but they're here, so what can I do about it? <laughs> she said, our hearts were broken in the war in Iraq. And then our hearts were broken in Jordan. And our hearts have been broken in America. She's like, our hearts are broken 100%. She's like, I closed my heart for a year when I came here. I closed it. And then she's like, but after a year, I realized there was nothing new with me. I just lose time and I hurt myself. And she's like, but I watched my sister living with an open heart. And so she said so I knew there's another choice. And she says, "I know I know I will be broken. I can't guess when, but it will happen." And I still need to open my heart again. Not everything will be perfect and beautiful always, not easy. She said, but if you open your heart, you find life. So you need to share, share, share. I was like, I know that's what you believe because that's what I've experienced. You share, share, sharing with me. And she said, not close, open. And she said, when you talk to the people, she says, you tell them you have everything. Ask them why you close your heart. She said, of course, you have to be careful for danger. When you feel tired, rest, it's okay. But she says, if you find your heart closed, you can fresh, you can open it. Open it again. That's exactly what Paul is doing in this moment too. The same thing that Zena did in a phone call with me this week. Appealing to us that we would live open-hearted. Asking them, the Corinthian church, and then him asking us through this letter to live open-heartedly. And I've come to believe it's the way that God made humans to be. Because God made us after His likeness. We know what God's like open hearted, recycling things into forgiveness, producing a peace offering so that he can return us to relationship, renew us and offer us life. And it is our open-heartedness that reveals that we don't take that grace in vain. So I have a couple questions as we finish up here today, Miss Where do you need to believe that God does not turn away from you, but seeks to return you and to restore you? Maybe that you need to admit wrongdoing, but with an understanding that you're not before a God who is punitive but restorative. Where in your life do you need to believe that God does not turn away from you, but seeks to return you? renew you and then where do you need to open up your life or keep your heart open it may be that it's related to this conversation on race and systemic racism that you want to shut down or double down it may be towards someone who is responding to COVID-19 differently than you are Or maybe in the middle of this political year. Or maybe there's a place in relation to a family member that you need to keep your heart open. Or it may be that you're a person who has experienced great suffering. And in so doing, you're tempted to keep or to close down, to shut down your heart because it's been too difficult. Or maybe you live comfortably. And having an open heart would mean stepping outside of that comfort. Where do you need to open up your life or keep your heart open? Monsieur, the Spirit of God is with us to help us to do this. Paul describes that. God's presence alongside him. So the Spirit is with us to help us. The Spirit is with you to help you. So I'm just going to give us a moment of silence before I pray. So that you can give yourself a minute to attune to God and maybe where you need to understand that he is for you and towards you. Even in your own admission of wrongdoing. Or maybe there's a place where the Spirit wants to open you up so that you can find life. So just give ourselves a moment of silence, and then I'll pray, and then we'll continue worshiping. If you have the elements, you can take communion, and if not, we'll continue in song. So let's stay silent for a moment, and then we'll pray. Lord God, there's things you want us to to know about you. Things that you reveal to us through your story that you absorb in order to forgive. You absorb in order to provide peace. And that through that peace we can experience restoration and renewal. And that's the story that you're breathing out into the world, the story of restoration and renewal. And as we breathe that in from you, you ask us to breathe that out into the world. And so I pray, Jesus, that we would be a people that know how to find that fresh air, that we would breathe it deeply. And that because of that, we would learn how to live into the practice of open-heartedness. That we would learn how to absorb and offer, that we would learn how to attune to people that are different than us, that we would learn how to be present. And to live open-heartedly as a demonstration that we aren't living the grace that you've given us in vain. And so Holy Spirit, would you help us Would you help us to be recipients of this renewal so that we can extend this renewal into our own lives and into the lives of our families and into our workplaces and into our neighborhoods. That we would be alive with the goodness of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue worshiping.